We did a whole gift-giving guide earlier in the week, but I did want to give two specific gift guide ideas related to our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You can sponsor a specific horse in the TRF herd. Always a winning idea. Choose a horse and a mount, and your loved one will get updates and photos throughout the year. Go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash sponsor to learn more about that. And I wanted to tell you about Lazy Dog Cookie Horse Bitskits, the first horse treat created by our friends at the Lazy Dog Cookie Company, and a generous measure of the proceeds will go directly to the TRF for each bag purchased, soon to be in local Saratoga stores, national retailers, and Chewy.com to learn more about this in themoneypodcast.com slash lazydog. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show we are recording on Friday, December 2nd for the races of December 3rd, the Saturday. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fortital, and you can see if you're watching along on YouTube, our first guest appearing alongside a man who's been on this show many times, very often for the big days in New York, and we've got the last big day in New York of the year. So we thought it only appropriate to reach out to legendary horse player, and author, among other things, Stephen Christ. Steve, how are things? Hey, things are good, Pete. Looking forward to the race this Saturday. Just hoping the rain holds off. Yes, it looks like Saturday itself could have some uh, some rain in the forecast. What are you? What are you? I don't know if you you want to put your meteorologist hat on for a second, but what are you? What are you guessing? What are your assumptions heading in? Well, it, it's looking kind of ugly on the forecasts, um, and of course, tomorrow's the only day there's going to be heavy rain in this four-day period, uh, but it, it looks like it's going to be starting around 10 or 11 in the morning and going from there. Well, hopefully, uh, the racing will hold together anyway. At least we don't have turf to contend with, don't have to deal with that particular uh, difficulty. We'll kick off by talking about this uh, this pick six. It starts off in race number five, 146 Eastern, the scheduled post time for this allowance race to kick things off. I thought it was kind of open looking. Uh, what, what did you think, Steve? What numbers will be on your tickets to start this pick six? Uh, I, I think five of the seven numbers in this race uh, I'll, I'll be using uh, – I can't really see uh, the five turn of events uh, or the six cash now, but I think everyone else can win. And uh, I'm going to spread not only because I think there are multiple contenders, uh, but because I'm really not crazy about the five to two favorite in this race. Uh, I I don't know uh, if David Aragona, not his terrific line maker, uh, was anticipating slop when he made Hero Tiger the favorite. But I don't think Hero Tiger's fast track races are particularly competitive in this field. He is, however, coming off a pretty good effort in the slop at Churchill. So maybe that's what the thought was in making him the five to two favorite. Uh, But other than that, uh, I I don't really see him at all in here. Uh, I I mean, my I guess my two A's in this race uh, would be Milton, the monster, the bottom horse and Bourbonic, the three. Uh, Burbonic's really kind of a, a wild card. He's been off for a year. You know, we're talking about a, a Wood Memorial winner running in a two other than allowance race, and he may just be the best horse in this race, but he has been off for a long time. It's true, and I was worried about the pace scenario for him. 
I put American Gentleman on top with just thought ran really well last time, stalking a slow pace, finishing well enough to get the job done. I thought that could be a, a similar situation and the form of that race working out well with two from it coming back to run one, two at the same level. And I was just expecting a good forward trip in a race without a lot of pace from American Gentleman. The two hero tiger I left in just because if it is slop, looking at that slop effort last time. And I thought another who could secure good forward uh, position. And then I also had Milton the monster in the mix, attracting Saez from Hero Tiger and a bunch of excuses in the last several runs, I thought. Just tricky trips, being on turf, being on the wrong part of racetracks. Another one I wanted to, to keep on side here. But it sounds like for you, seven and three on the top line. And would that make one, two, and four your, your backups? Uh, exactly. And and again, the, the weather is is going to dictate uh, a lot of things, obviously, you know, American gentleman, I agree with you, his last race was good. But if you look at his slop races, they're they're not competitive. Right. Uh, so, you know, he's again, if we get a lot of rain, he's a horse I downgrade while upgrading Hero Tiger a little bit. Uh, but if it stays dry other way around, I'm against Hero Tiger and think American Gentleman has a much better shot on a dry track. That makes perfect sense to me, and I would agree. Let's move to race number six, where our stakes action begins with the grade two demoiselle for these two-year-old fillies going a mile and an eighth. And I wanted to try to take a shot in here because, of course, this is a grade two in name, but it's a first-level allowance in reality. And that allowed me to make a little bit of a reach here to number five, Affirmative Lady, who I feel like in both starts has shaped like more ground is going to be her friend. That's what her blood suggests as well. And I always find it notable when a trainer as good as Graham Motion does something this unusual. I tend to give it extra credit. This is not a, a shot-taking trainer normally. Maybe Affirmative Lady has a chance to get things done at a big price. Obviously, we need to talk about the big favorite, number three, Julia Shining, Malathot's little sister. Looked very good on debut from unfavorable position early. Um, but did have a decent setup, and that race was only okay on the clock. Obviously, the added ground with that pedigree should be your friend, but I think this is a horse who's going to be odds-on and, and maybe doesn't have that kind of an advantage, really, when looking at this field. I think I will try to include in some combinations just on all the obvious uh, factors. And then the one foggy night, another I wanted to mention, did has done very well since stretching out to the mile, imperious in victory in the maiden two-back, and in the tempted, I thought did all right setting a pace and and uh, sticking on pretty well, even though she might have been carried a little bit by the track that day. Five to one, six to one, those kind of prices. I wouldn't mind having the one on side as well. Let's go. To, when I ask you about this race, Steve, I'll start with Julia Shining. Are you with or against? Uh, I'm very much with. Uh, I, I would recommend that uh, if if people haven't that they go watch uh, her debut. Uh, everything went wrong in the race. She was off slowly. She shied from the kickback. She really looked hopeless after making a middle move. But but then it's like she just picked it up a gear and relaunched uh, and just looked visually super impressive through the stretch. I'm not going to argue that she's a great value at three to five, but I, I just think she's a future graded stakes winning horse and I'm not sure that anyone else in here uh, really is. Uh, I, I take your point on affirmative lady. I just wonder if they didn't hustle her into the race because it, it was coming up such a short and weak field. Uh, my problem with, with Foggy Knight uh, is that that 
big race that she ran to back winning by 11 with a, a buyer of 73 that supposedly tops in the field. Everyone who's come out of that race uh, has run much slower. Uh, I mean, the winner went five points backwards. The runner-up went seven points backwards. The third place horse went 13 points ba- backwards. So I, I don't quite buy that 73 at Parks. I will say, however, again, if we do come up with a wet track, I think that's going to help her uh, because I think she will be the controlling speed from the inside. But uh, I, I think Julia Shining could be something special. In terms of your tickets, are you thinking 100% through her, 80% through her? How, how are you looking to do it? Uh, I'm never 100% through. Uh, I, I would think something like 75% through her uh, with some foggy night in case she does get loose from the inside and maybe 2% affirmative lady just so I'm not cursing you when she wins. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The grade two action continues in the Remsen, a mile and an eighth on the dirt for for the Colts. And we'll leave it with you for this one, Steve. Well, I I think you you have a clear favorite again here, though not as strong a favorite as Julia Shining uh, in Tennessee Airmen. Uh, I I thought his his race winning the not so famous Rocky Run stakes at Delaware, uh, but he looked terrific winning that. Uh, going a mile. Uh, he got a buyer figure of 84 that, you know, trounces the rest of the field. Uh, and I think he's pretty solid. Uh, the other horse, Arctic Arrogance, uh, again, keep an eye on the weather. I think his chances improve greatly uh, if it's wet. He won his debut in the mud. He has a big slot pedigree. And he's coming off a, a, a you know, perfectly good buyer figure of 80 winning the sleepy hollow for new york breads at aqueduct makes sense as a slop upgrade that one tuskegee airman definitely an obvious favorite off those wins my fear about the that buyer was looking at some other figure makers including timeform us they had it enough lower than the buyer that i was just i was worried about there being a ton of value i didn't want to put on top but i'm certainly going to have in the mix I was going to try to make a case for W Nell in this race ran very fast in that Saratoga maiden race won by instant coffee. Who's uh, subsequently made that form look pretty good winning the Kentucky uh, jockey club. And then that second race um, in the slop going a mile. I really liked how the heat stuck on late in there suggesting that the mile and an eighth might suit him. And I was also looking for the right kind of trip from W Nell here as well so i was going to mostly try to get away with the seven and two are you happy with just the two and the four in here or are you looking for any backups well you know if again if we get a, a wet chaotic track uh, i would use a bunch of c's in here uh because you know we we have no knowledge about tuskegee airmen on a wet track yeah uh, you know he may like it he may hate it but it, when you do get those kind of conditions Uh, I'm more likely to make at least one ticket, you know, using two or three others in here. Uh, But I will definitely be mainly twos and fours. All right. We move to race number eight, where we've got the go for one. Phillies and mares three and up going a mile on the dirt in this one. I came up with one who's uh, probably going to be among the favorites. Number 10, Bank Sting. I thought was just going to get a great situation in this spot. Plenty of pace to set up a late run. Great hold-up rider in Joel Rosario. And I feel like she has enough natural speed on the stretch out. Won't be too far back here. And 
You throw in the fact that she's making her second start off the layoff and has some nice looking work since the last run. Just thought was an obvious choice for me at what will hopefully be a reasonably square price. And I also definitely wanted to have some eights for a Betsy Blue. Spun her wheels last time late when guided to a rail that might not have been the best place to be. I just thought fit on the overall body of work and has one going a mile as well. Mostly 10 and 8 for me in the go for wand. How do you see it, Steve? Uh, I, I think that my A's in this race uh, are battle doing the three and bank sting the 10. I agree with everything you said about bank sting. Uh, you know, and battle bling them. She's won, won three in a row, and she's really not meeting a much tougher field uh, than she faced last out in the turn back the alarm. She also has a couple of good slop races on her resume. Uh, so I, I think those two are solid. The third horse, who I may use as an A, if she's really going to be anything like 15 to 1, is W.W. Fitzy. Uh, I think that this filly is is very likely to be overlooked in here. She is improving. She's in career form. Uh, last time out, I don't know what happened in the turn back the alarm. She just stopped. But I think that race really dirties up her form. And maybe that's why she's 15 to 1. Uh, but, you know, horses who throw in efforts like that, there's usually a reason I'm willing to draw a line through it and give her some kind of a shot in here. Uh, she, too, handles a wet track. The, the two fillies who I find a little troublesome to know what to do with are Dr. B and your horse, Betsy Blue, uh, because they're both stretching out to a mile for the first time in their careers. And I really have no confidence that either one of them you know, can go more than seven furlongs in here. So those kinds of horses are frequently helped by a wet track. So again, those two I would upgrade if we're under really sloppy conditions. Otherwise, I'm leery of taking a horse to do something it's never done before while stepping up into a grade three. Yeah, completely reasonable. But it sounds like you'll try to have some of the back deeper backups with the four and the eight, but mainly focusing on three, ten, and four. That sounds about right. All right. Let's talk about the race that gives the day its name, the grade one cigar mile here at uh, the Big A. Eh, I, I'm disappointed. We only are going to end up with a field of six here after the scratch of uh, Obisos comes in. It definitely changes the race, but very curious to hear who you think is going to win this year's cigar mile. Uh, I don't see how it's going to be anyone except Zandon or Mind Control. Uh, I, I just feel the two of them are, are an entire tier or level uh, above the rest in here. I mean, Double Crown and Outlier are jokes. Obizos, who is a joke, although I see his trainer said, I thought we had a big shot to win the race. Uh, I mean, he'd have been 99 to 1, even if he weren't scratching. Um, so, you know, by process of elimination, uh, I, I'm just down to Zandon and, and Mind Control. Uh, is White a Barrio impossible? No, I don't think he is. He's he's the only backup I'd use. Uh, getter number, uh, you know, all the good races in the grade one are, are going short or as a two-year-old. Uh, it's very peculiar for him to come cross-country. I don't think he quite matches up with these horses. Uh, but to me, Zandon and, and Mind Control just lay over this field on, on ability and class. Will you play them equally or, or, or try to separate them a little bit? No, the, uh, you know, I'd be perfectly happy if I came into this race alive through the two of them. 
I went with mind control over Zandon. I see the race the same way you do. I was just thinking in terms of pace scenario. I, you know, mind control's done such good work around these one turn miles, and that speed gives him an edge. We'll see with Zandon. I would assume they'll try to keep him closer than he's been, but we'll see if that takes the sting out of the finish or if he can still finish up that way. But I still, I'm not against him in any way. I mean, we've been talking about him as a horse that would likely excel at a one turn mile practically all year. So we're identical in this spot. Technically, I'll put mine control over Zandon, but I like them both. What do you think is going on here with only getting six horses in a race like this, Steve? Is it is it something to editorialize about or is it just the way it is? It's just the way it is. And it's it's really too bad. You know, in some years, this race actually affects uh, divisional championships and it's kind of a last chance, you know, for a, a horse to, to nail down some kind of a title. Uh, this year, everything just so cut and dried after the Breeders' Cup. You know, nobody felt it was imperative to come back and run in this race uh, in order to boost their case for any kind of an award. So it, it just happens. And, you know, it doesn't help that now in the last few years you've had the clerk going up against this race. So, you know, you're dividing and conquering the older horses. It's a good point. And just the stake schedule in general, sometimes you wish there was a little bit more coordination put behind it to try to get the big, full competitive fields that the core customer wants at a time when, uh, you know, the core customer's voice uh, doesn't seem to get heard. But that's something we'll be talking about next week at the Arizona Symposium. We'll leave that conversation for then and we'll proceed to the nightcap, this starter allowance race going seven furlongs on the dirt. When it comes to this cigar mile day pick stick, Steve, how are we going to get paid? Well, it's going to be tough to get paid overall uh, because you, you do have, you know, perfectly legit looking favorites in, in so many of the races. But I, I do think the finale is a place where, you know, you can spread. Uh, my top selections uh, in this race would be the six Royal Trist and the three be the boss. Uh, but I can also see using uh, Tenebris, the four and Gaslight the nine. Yes, like the nine. I'll mention one other horse. I had be the boss on top who looked to find the mile, maybe just a bit too far. Looks ideally suited for this cutback and uh, should improve second off the layoff. And I think I'm not sure exactly if this is going to be a they're going to try to go wire to wire or maybe let the speed right on the outside go and stalk and pounce. But either way, I think be the boss can be the best speed. The one I'll try to make a case for is the seven Skylander who disappointed as the favorite last time, but just watching that race back, never looked comfortable. And then fits really well off that figure, earned two back for this barn. And I was hoping might get lost in the wagering in a competitive race. So I see all the runners you mentioned, but I was going to put the three and the seven on the A-line. Can you see the seven if you squint in this spot? I got to squint a little because, you know, his victory two back was against non-winners of two lifetime bad horses. Uh, and, you know, even romping, he only got a figure of 76, which I don't think is quite good enough to win this. But he could round out the try at a good price. <laughs> All right. Great stuff, Steve. Always a pleasure to visit with you on the show. And uh, we'll probably give you some time off in these uh, in these winter in these winter months. But very much looking forward to having you uh, having you back on soon. Great. Always happy to do it. Enjoyed it. 
it pays to race Maryland Breds in Maryland. Right now at Laurel Park, Maryland Breds racing in open overnight races receive a 15% owner's bonus and a 15% developer bonus for finishing first, second, or third. In addition, Maryland Breds in $45,000 maiden claiming races are eligible to waive the claiming price. There's no better time to breed and race in Maryland, and you can learn more about the advantages of breeding and owning Maryland Breds at MarylandThoroughbred.com. Next up on the show, it's time to talk about Maryland racing, and to do that, I bring in the two people that I rely on when it comes to the topic. First off, from the simulcast feed at Laurel, at Pimlico, a frequent guest on these airways when we're talking about such things, Callie Francois. Callie, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Pete. I just went out this morning, did a couple of interviews, and it was cold, and I'm very excited to be back indoors again. <laughs> and we've got some good stakes racing to talk about, too. Very much looking forward to your insights, because not only do you do the paperwork, but you have some insights from out there in the saddle from uh, the work that you do in the morning. So we look forward to bringing you in for that, and you'll be chatting about these two stakes races at Laurel with another person who's been a, a frequent guest of late. He is the communications manager for the MHBA. He is John Piasek. John, what's going on? Hey, Pete. I'm doing great. Just wrapped up a big week of racing um, for Maryland Dreads. We had four Maryland Dreads stakes winners last week, plus Cornmaker Pass, a million-dollar market earnings, plus we just um, celebrated the, the retirement of where she told me to go, a awesome gelding, 13-time stakes winner. But as one stakes horse leaves Brittany Russell's barn, another star might enter it on Saturday. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. But I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think it's really worth, you know, we don't often get on podcasts to celebrate horses like where she told me to go in Cordmaker. But I mean, you know, I think that uh, certainly everybody on this panel agrees. They're a huge part of what it makes racing special, these old warriors. And when they can have these accomplishments and we get a chance to, you know, reflect and, and give them their due as well. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that up, John. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Callie, I'm sure you got uh, you some good memories of getting to see those two up close. Well, the thing is that, you know, what's great is that we talk about in this industry of, you know, these Colts or Geldings doing so well, and then they get retired early. And here we are here in the Mid-Atlantic, in Maryland specifically, we're bringing the table of horses and horsemen that and owners that are willing to give the fans and the sport a shot of a horse to horses to follow. So we're talking about eight year old, you know, where she told me to go. He's eight years old and he's retiring sound. He's ready. He's just ready to go into his next career. They were going to try and push him for the million, but they're just, they're like, Brittany just says he's not his same, the same old where she told me to go. So, but that's the biggest thing. And I really want to commend Anybody here, not only in Maryland, but the Mid-Atlantic, who are just having these old war horses just go and give us a wonderful, wonderful afternoon show. No doubt about it. Well, on Saturday, we're, the, we're going the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. We're <laughs> yes, looking at the two-year-olds. And, 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 you know, we've got some really promising ones to talk about. Let's start off talking about race number seven, 257 Eastern is the scheduled post time for the Maryland Juvenile Philly Stakes. We're going seven furlongs with $100,000 in the pot and a big full field uh, signed on in here. John, we'll bring it back to you for, for your, thoughts, uh, your, your thoughts on this one. Um, sounds like you have uh, s some interesting ideas that can maybe help the players out. I thought so. And, and one Philly I really wanted to see on Maryland Million Day, who we didn't get to see, is back here, that's number one, Malibu Moonshine, a daughter of Anchor and Hope Stallion, 
Bourbon Code, read by Dr. Ronald Parker in our Racing for Happy Face Racing Stable, and a trainer pretty familiar to fans up in New York, Charlie Baker, um, came down here for her debut at Pimlico on September 11th. Made a nice closing move from off the pace, really swooped the field, and won going away. So I was pretty excited um, to see her in the Maryland Million Lassie. She was entered that day, was scratched about maybe an hour or so before the first race. Got back on work tab um, in early um, November. Has a few good drill sends and now comes back here. One interesting thing about her debut is Dylan Davis came down from New York just to ride her. Because, you know, Aqueduct, it was kind of that week uh, between Saratoga and Aqueduct. No racing going on. And Dylan came down, took the mound, and, and I think that's a pretty encouraging sign. I don't think he would do that if he didn't think it was a worthwhile trip. He's not back here. Angel Cruz, um, who is one of the top jockeys in Maryland, gets the mount. If she runs back in that first race, she's going to be very tough to hold off. I think she's interesting because, you know, you, you see the how far back she was and, and maybe got a little bit of a setup to close, but won by so much and had that sort of tardy uh, beginning and how hard she was bet. She's probably got a lot more speed than that. She seems like one that almost has to come on in this spot. Callie, let's bring you in for your thoughts on Malibu Moonshine and maybe get a, a top selection. And then, John, will come back to you for some thoughts on maybe some that, that can come with Malibu Moonshine in here. But what's your view on this one, Callie? So I'm not going to say it's a wide-open affair, but Malibu Moonshine is absolutely my top selection in this race. What I do – so going through that field that she won against, that's really the only knock you have against her. She's not coming from a particularly strong field over at Pim, in that Pimlico debut – However, this filly is absolutely raw talent. And just keep in mind, everybody who's listening, we do expect some rain to come on Saturday. So I won't be surprised if we get a wet track today. And there are plenty of fillies that do like an off track, including Malibu Moonshine. You go back to that work on November 28th. That's a great work on a track, again, with a bit of moisture on it, a decent uh, minute and one. So I, I agree. I agree with everything that John has to say. This filly just is going in the right direction from only a little of what we've seen with her so far. Charlie Breaker, pretty decent, 15 for 68, first after the layoff as of recently. But I think, I agree, I think we're just going to see the exact same performance that we saw back at Pimlico. Well, I'll throw it back to John for some other ideas in this race, whether we're talking about backups or horses to use in exactus, trifectas, superfectas, etc. Who Who else is of interest in here? One horse I'm pretty excited to see is number seven, Fast Track, a half-sister to Malibu Beauty, who Maryland Racing fans know very well, a multiple stakes winner on the year, and an owner lifetime of almost half a million dollars. Uh, Fast Track made her debut on November 6th for Onan Delacour, a great trainer, but not always uh, the best with first-time starters. However, this filly ran huge on debut. Got in an early speed duel. The horse that she was dueling with ended up losing by 13 lengths. But Fast Track showed, showed, showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit, held on to win by a neck, earned a very good figure on, on the Viznet scale of 78. Obviously, it's, it's a bit of a class jump here. She was going against Van Claymers that day, now faces a very ta- a pretty talented field of two-year-old fillies. But if she improves even a little bit off that race, could be pretty interesting. And I think this is a good point to point out, John, that it's not really a negative at all for a Maryland bred in Maryland to be running in a maiden claimer first out. It's not like. No, not at all, because because um, uh, you get that ability to waive a claiming price in $40,000 maiden claiming races. 
And also, just in, in, in general, I've noticed a $40,000 maiden claimer and a maiden special weight are not that much different in quality. Really, really the only difference is if there's a decent out-of-town two-year-old, I mean, or a a decent two-year-old who's not a Maryland bred, right. they'll make a beeline for a maiden special weight rather than putting them in for the tag in most circumstances. Yeah, it's it's you just have to think about each circuit individually and what the rules are. And when you can run in one or the other, right, there's not going to be that much of a difference unless the composition of the field is such where you get some monster shipping in from out of town. So it's it's good to know the circuit when you're trying to evaluate these class levels. It's not like the difference between a maiden claimer and a maiden special weight on dirt in New York. You know, the pars, I don't have the pars in front of me, but the par speed figure would not be that different. Callie, let's bring you in for uh, some th forces that might come in underneath or uh, instead of Malibu Moonshine. What's so interesting about this field, guys, is that not only do we have a couple, a handful of these fillies who go well, not only go well, but who are bred well, unproven, but bred well to go on an off track. We also have an abundance of fillies who have experience at the seven furlongs but not only that successful experience at the seven furlongs which does again bring me to fast track he is excuse me 16 for 29 as of late with his second time starters so excuse me 50 percent in the money eight for 29 in the winner's circle but that i mean as far as the grittiness goes for, for that first Arno Delacour runner, absolutely right to the out, all the way to the outside. Synergy's Electra is what I'm curious about. The horse who was battling the Arno Delacour horse for Kenny Cox. Uh, this one is going to be okay on a wet dirt as well. And why not? So the only one I don't, I think Skylar's sister, I think the seven furlongs is going to be a touch too long for her. Rosie Express, I stopped by the barn this morning. That was, this was a, this is a first time claim for Hugh McMahon. Uh, heard nothing but great things coming from the barn staff about this horse. Hugh was not in, I just missed Hugh that morning, but um, the assistant Alexandra Horn said that the horse is always going in the right direction. This is a proven winner over the slop. Uh, I don't think the seven furlongs is going to be a problem. Liquidators has a bit of work to do. Of course, we have to include chickiness. You have to include chickiness underneath. I question the seven furlongs for the filly, and she's been she's been a little off her game, especially that last time out. But again, she's one that doesn't like to be rushed, and that's exactly what happened in that optional claiming last time out. She got rushed to the front. That wasn't really her game, so she kind of petered off right away. So I may give her another shot underneath. Um, Angel Art, Mark Schumann. I tell you what, Mark Schumann, he's not quite known for his first-time starters, but this imagining Philly was intriguing and really, really gutsy that first time out. So I'm encouraged by that first time out effort with Angel Art and Mark Schumann has been three for 11 lately with the second time starters, six for 11 in the money. So you have to give that one going to be at a little bit of a price. Let me see. Keith Fiesel sent me the odds not too long ago. Let's see what we got for that. 40 to one on debut. So you got to figure still going to be a decent price. It's going to be a decent price. She's going to still be, she's still 12 to one. So um, surprisingly Malibu moonshine is seven to two. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of reflects, uh, with Malibu Moonshine being 7-2, it kind of reflects a little bit of uh, this field is a little bit more wide open than you want to suggest. Gormley's Gabriella with Hammy Smith. Hammy Smith trains on any kind of surface. This filly is used to this type of surface today. Um, Bossarati, 
I'm still scratching my head on her. I'm going to take a bit of a wait and see approach with her. But I mean, the two horses that really get my attention are the Arno Delacour horse and, of course, the Charlie Baker horse with uh, probably the Kenny Cox horse. And taking a look, it's going to be a toss up between uh, the two Angel Art and Gormley's Gabriella, of course, Hammy Smith. Uh, she's She's been stakes tested. So this filly just needs a little bit of the trip. She didn't quite get the trip that she Hammy Smith would have wanted for her last time out. Let's pivot to race number eight. We've got the boys version of this. It's the Maryland juvenile stakes. We're going seven furlongs once again with the same hundred thousand in the pot and a field of seven going postward. Callie, we'll keep it with you for your uh, thoughts on this one. Well, okay, so we've got post time as our even money favorite, and then Johnny Z from Albany at eight to five. It's a competition between those two horses, and that's that's exactly what it is. I think you're playing for your you're just playing for underneath with the rest of the field. It's hard because Johnny Z from Albany, he's been okay on the slop in the one time you've seen him. I just noticed him taking this trend of really uh, honing in that we're supposed to be having some rain, which is. I'm probably just talked us into having sunny skies for Saturday, but you wouldn't mind. But either way, both. I mean, I I love post time. Post time had now post time for those who don't know is a complete jughead of a cult. So he's a bit of a goon, and he's really air. It's really on. Just to give kudos to Eric Camacho, he gets on this horse every day. He's a he's you know a proven stakes winner as a jockey, but he rides for Brittany Russell right now, and he has been one of the only ones to really get along with this horse and really tap into this energy. And I was talking to Eric this morning, and it's just all raw energy. And he has in the last two weeks, because you can even go back in those wins and you can look that this horse is still a little bit green when he goes out there. So. It's, it's just he puts on a fun show for all of us for entertainment wise. But uh, to put the money behind uh, what he's the show that he's giving, he certainly can provide that. So Eric's not concerned about the one post at all. He's just going to sit right behind, do the same type of trip as long as he gets a good trip. Very, very confident in this horse. He has become more mature in the past two weeks. So take that with what you will. But Johnny Z from Albany. Uh, big fan of this horse. He's super classy. He showed what he was capable of in the Maryland Million Nursery. Love that Georgie Rui retains the ride. Georgie Rui got the right attitude and mindset with this horse, that this horse needs a confident go around. So you're going to see Johnny Z from Albany probably on the front again. And it's just a matter of whether this horse can handle uh, the seven furlongs, which I think won't be too much of a problem. It's an interesting question. Yeah, it does look to me like Johnny Z from Albany could prove loose in this spot, which could make it tougher post-time and all the rest. But I take your points about post-time. And sometimes when they're acting a little immature, a little wild like that, it, it means there's more scope for improvement. So, exactly. I mean, it, does, yeah, it looks like a very interesting race. John, is it as simple as a match race between post-time and Johnny Z from Albany? And, and which way will your money be going? I don't even think it's a match race. I think it's just post-time's race to lose and and, and I'll, I'll also say if he had run those two types of races i mean those those exact same races in new york or in kentucky instead of maryland he'd probably be in the future book for the derby by now because yeah. his figures from those two races are not too dissimilar from what top two-year-old uh colton geldings have been running i mean in, in his last start which um callie touched on on october 27th he he sat off the pace, very green in the stretch, but he pulled away pretty powerfully, especially late. 
uh, on on Vincent scale, he ran a 95. He he ran an 86 bio, 92 Equibase. Those are even or only a few lengths shy of what stakes winning two-year-olds have been earning just for um, comparison. Um, Havana Meltdown, who won the Bob Hope at Delmar the other day, he ran an 89 bio. Uh, Instant Coffee, who won the Kentucky Jockey Club, he ran an 82 bio. Right. So post-time, speed figure-wise, is really in, in, in the mix with major two-year-olds nationwide, not just in Maryland. And he does have very deep Maryland connections. He was um, bred in part by Dr. and Mrs. Tom Bowman, who have won or shared the title of leading breeder in Maryland nine times. Uh, he's owned by um, Hillwood Stable, the non, the non de course of Ellen Charles, whose family has been involved in Maryland racing for decades. Uh, her father was a steward in Maryland for about 20 years. Her mother bred and owned horses for decades. Um, she's been racing under the Hillwood name for about uh, two decades herself, and she's owned horses such as Bandbox and Cordmaker. And of course, Brittany Russell, one of the top trainers in Maryland. He passed the seven furlong test last time. I'm pretty easily. I think it's a it, it's a smart move by Brittany to keep him at at seven furlongs. Not stretch him out in the Remsen just yet. Just make sure that he can um, get that stakes win and and then from there hopefully move on to bigger and better things. I think he'll sit just off the pace. And I was glad to hear from Callie that he has matured a bit in. In, in in the past two weeks because while he has been brilliant and he has shown that kick, it is possible that if he was um, to act that crazy against better horses, it might be his... <laughs> catch up, with, catch up with you at some point. <laughs> well, this, is, this has been great fun, guys. We're just about out of time, but really appreciate your, you guys coming on and talking about these stakes races, and we've got some more good stuff coming up in Maryland. We'll, we'll have you on uh, again soon. Thank you so much for having us, Pete. Appreciate it, and as always, a blast. Thank you, Pete. It was a pleasure. And of course, December 16th, opening of, of the Maryland Horse Library and, and Education Center. So if, you, so if you're in the area, come out and check it out. And remember, yeah, tag us on some social regarding the event. I, I wish I could get down. I think I told you off air last time. It's like the first day of school winter break here. It's not a good day for me to get out of town, but uh, <laughs> I'm eager to check it out. It sounds great. We'll talk soon. All right. We'll take be care. happy to have you, Pete. Thanks. Next up, we welcome back in another regular guest, he works for Woodbine, but he's often here to talk about Japan and the JRA. Specifically, last time he was on, we had that super fun roundtable to talk about uh, Japan Cup Night. We'll start there, and then we'll move on to the action this weekend. I'm speaking, of course, about Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Morning, Pete. How are you doing? Things are good. Things are good. I, I really enjoyed getting together with you and the team. You've got some some good folks working, covering uh, JRA and giving out a lot of winners and having some fun while, while we're at it. How did last Saturday night go for you? Uh, well, again, if, if my selection uh, that I had uh, had a bit of a cleaner trip, and I think that was kind of the story for everyone in, in terms of those that watched the race, it was in my opinion, probably one of the the roughest run races of the Japan Cup that I've seen for a while. Uh, you know, after the fact, um, Dan Beluga, for instance, uh, had a pretty nightmare trip. He was kind of shut off near the end. And then we also had the eventual second place finisher, Shariar, um, his jockey, uh, who was Christian Demuro. He came across, you know, you couldn't really see it per se in the, in, in the kind of pan view that we had, but the head-on view... Um, he came across about eight lanes, interfering with about four or five horses uh, in the race. So, you know, under under North American rules, 
uh, for, I guess it would have been uh, class two, I think we have here in North America. Um, he would have been uh, probably disqualified if you look back at that, but the, that fact to have class one, um, you know, he stayed up, but uh, his jockey faced the penalty. <laughs> he's he's going to be suspended for a couple of days because of his uh, riding infractions in that race. But, um, you know, take nothing away from the winner. Ryan Moore ra- ra- rode a, a heck of a race on the winner. Uh, Vela Azul weaving in and out of traffic, eventually found a gap between Shariar and, and Weltrezenda. Uh, Weltrezenda also, you know, that's my selection, uh, also had a bit of trouble trying to just find his way out in behind traffic. Uh, but again, so... You know, I think we have a lot of hard luck stories in there. A lot of the Europeans came with their runs late. I know, uh, you know, Christophe Lemaire was screaming for for room there with Onesto for the European invaders. Um, but in the end, uh, Velozul, a, a deserved winner. Ryan Moore, not considered one of the best jockeys in the world for nothing. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Let, let's move on to this weekend. What do we have in store? Yeah, so, uh, so you know, there, there are two big grade one dirt races on the, on the, on the card of racing in Japan. And this is, this is kind of the year end dirt championship, if you will, this is the champions cup. Uh, and we are going to see the returning champ in the form of T.O. Keynes, who's in here. Uh, I, I know you and I con- constantly kind of harp on this in terms of the pedigree and breeding, and it's not very foreign. So and another one here in the form of T.O. Keynes, who's by a uh, sinister minister, uh, I think will be one of the heavy favorites in here. You know, he, he, he's come back after a, uh, I call it a, a lackluster performance in the Saudi Cup in February, but came back with two two impressive performances in the last two, including a, a last out win in the uh, JBC Classic, which is the Japan Breeders' Cup Classic. They have their kind of own dirt sort of version of the, the Breeders' Cup uh, in Japan over the NAR circuit. And that was at a track called Morioka. So that race there, he... Uh, he Pretty late a beating, if you will, on that field that day. Uh, that includes some other ones that you know we're, we're very familiar with, and uh, you know, I, one that we know very familiar here is, is Crown Pride. So he makes his return yeah. here in this in this event, Pete. So uh, we'll see what Crown Pride can do. He's you know he's gone back to Japan, and you know he's uh, he's run well. Uh, you know, again, like I mentioned, he finished second behind uh, Tio Kings in that race, who beat him by two and a half lengths. So. Um, you know, I, I think part of the problem was in that race there, Crown Pry was on the lead, but he doesn't really want to be on the lead. You know, we, we know he's a forwardly placed horse, uh, way too forwardly placed in the in the Derby. Um, but uh, again, he has come back since that uh, lackluster effort from the Derby with uh, two second place finishes, again, including that uh, respective uh, respectable finish in the, the Japan Bleachers Cup Classic. So, you know, I, I think those two for me are, are two of the ones that I think, uh, you know, I think will take a lot of the money, especially Crown Pride being that everyone knows him from his Derby foray here. Um, but again, there are a few other ones in here who are coming in off of, uh, you know, I, I'd call it pretty good form. One who's coming in off back-to-back wins, um, you know, over a bit shorter, uh, over, over, it's not shorter distance, but, you know, over distances and competition that may be a little bit weaker uh, is one that you look kind of the on the up and up, and that's uh, Jun Lightbolt. So Jun Lightbolt, uh, winner of the uh, grade three serious stakes last time out. Um, he beat another horse who's going to face in here again uh, called Happy. So, you know, Jun Lightbolt, uh, Jun Lightbolt, rather. Uh, some of these names, but I tell you, just sometimes tongue twisters. But uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, this horse has, has done very well in the dirt since uh, since transferring from turf. Uh, so, again, has started three times on the dirt, a second and two wins, again, in a, in a win last time out in a grade three event um, over a mile and three sixteenths. 
is it right to think that with the Breeders' Cup in California next year and these being dirt horses that we could see a horse come out of one of these races that might compete there? Or is it just way too early to tell? Yeah, it is too early to tell. But, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing we can kind of take out of all this is just form references, right? So you, you're going to see horses that have some form in there that may pop up uh, in other events. You know, I guess we can even look at, you know, Saudi... Dubai first, and you, you may see horses that are running in this event run right back in the Saudi races, um, you know, whether it be the Sprint or the uh, Saudi Cup, and then on to Dubai. And then certainly, you know, if, if depending on the, the the owner and the trainer, you know, if you have someone, you know, for instance, Crown Prime's connections already have tried him in North America. So like, yeah. he has that experience. He has, he's used to that kind of ship and race option now. Um, and he did it already in, in the UA Derby winning that. So, you know, I think those type of connections and that being, you know, he's owned by one of the Yoshida brothers. So certainly, you know, the Yoshida brothers have no issue shipping their horses around the world to try to win races. Um, so, you know, we, we could see Crown Pride, depending on how he does in here and, and how, he, how he starts off his 2023 20, campaign. Um, you could see the likes of a horse like Crown Pride, you know, running possibly in the Breeders' Cup next year. Yeah, you could excuse the Derby effort based on the pace that you mentioned before, too. It's not necessarily true that he just doesn't like it here. He didn't really get a chance to show his form. So that that's extremely logical to me. What else we got cooking on this uh, Saturday night card? Of course, you and the team will have full analysis, chance for folks to look at PPs as well over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You'll post those over the weekend. But what else should we be looking forward to from this far out? Yeah, so, you know, I think we're kind of – I think the big thing is this kind of the, the calm before the storm, if you will. So certainly not saying this is a, a, a bad race, but, you know, again, dirt racing is sort of like the uh, the weaker of the two in terms of racing in Japan. So, you know, I, I think for the most part, you're just going to, you know, we're all kind of just waiting right now for the uh, the Japan Cup. That's uh, right. The, the Arima Keenan, which is happening, like I mentioned before, on uh, on Christmas. Um, so, you know, for me, those are the, the, the big ones. I think that, you know, we're all kind of just saying, hey, um, We'll watch this race and obviously, you know, bet with both fists and enjoy it. But uh, really, it, it kind of just comes down to uh, that Arima Keenan car, which I mentioned before, is shaping up even better now with uh, some of the horses from the Japan Cup actually maybe maybe wheeling back to that event uh, in a couple weeks' time. That's very cool. And we're going to cover that, obviously, here on the network as well. Klaus, always fun to have you on these airwaves. And uh, I know you've been feeling a little under the weather. Hopefully, you'll be in fine fettle, get a chance to meet up out in Tucson next week and talk more about Woodbine and uh, JRA and all this fun stuff. Thanks very much, Pete. Last but not least, we bring in a guest I wish we were able to have on more often. But between uh, time zones and schedules, we, we only get them once in a while. It's a special treat for uh, the closing weekend at Del Mar, a man who resides within pretty much of a stone's throw of the racetrack. Our history in racing goes way, way back to the beginning of both of our origin stories. He is Frank Scatoni. Frank, what's up? How you doing, Pete? Thanks for having me. Things are good. I'm glad we get to be on each other's shows this weekend, which will be fun. I'm looking forward to joining you for the seminar tomorrow. Let folks know where they can find that. Yeah, yeah. Pete and I will be on track hosting. Uh, I'll be hosting the uh, S- Saturday handicapping seminar. It's at eleven thirty-five on the grandstand side, in the Plaza de Mexico, right outside the Hacienda Room, uh, a place that Pete and I used to affectionately refer to as Aqueduct at Del Mar because before <laughs> they turned it into a little lounge type area, it was always where uh, we'd walk through and see all all the hardcore. And I say this affectionately, degenerates. <laughs> so you're betting from morning, morning, noon, and night. 
That's right. Carols. It was very, you know, aqueduct-esque and the carols were set up simulcast, but you could have been at any simulcast center in America. It didn't matter that there was the Pacific Ocean right there. Um, That's great. I'm looking forward to it. Will there be some sunshine? It's going to be a little cool out there by your standards. Yeah, it's been a little, it's been a little cool and gray in the mornings, but the, you know, the sun has been coming out in the afternoon and warming things up a little bit, but yeah, you know, we're getting, we're getting, you know, a couple of weeks away from the solstice. So the days are getting really, really short, you know, yeah. just, even in I Southern California, that. you know, we have to deal with winter, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I realized about the early sunset when I made my sunset PCG reservation for Sunday night at 415. I realized. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I thought the same thing at 430 yesterday. I go, oh, it's dark. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not, not. <laughs> you, you met, I remembered, I was saying off air. Oh, I had something else I want to ask you. I remember now. Do you have your guests set for your Sunday seminar as well? I do. It's someone I'm looking forward to speaking to because I don't really know much about him. His name is Mike Corrales. He won the uh, Horse Tourneys, had a two-day Breeders' Cup mythical, and he ended up winning it. So uh, a buddy of mine, C.C. Rogers, who's a a Del Mar regular and has done my show many times, really, really smart handicapper, been around the game a long time. He said, hey, my buddy Mike just won this tournament. Um, You should have him on your show. So... uh, Mike came and introduced himself to me at the racetrack. We talked, we hit it off. He's an East coast guy lives out here. Um, So he's going to be on the best bet seminar on Sunday. Very, you know, always, always interested in, in hearing a, how people got into the game and, you know, B how, how they make a success of it. So uh, that was a big score for him. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to him about it and learn more about how he handicaps and wagers and all that fun stuff. Good, good, good. We'll make sure to check that out for sure. You and I will be talking probably about some of these same races that we're going to be talking about now because we're going to be looking at the pick five on Saturday. I will note we're going to have a special show for Del Mar on Sunday covering the mandatory payout. Tyler Wisman of In The Money Plus and Thorough Pace is going to be joining me for that show. You can look for that in your feeds on Sunday morning. But today we're talking pick five on Saturday and we kick off with stakes action. The stormy liberal stakes going this flat five on the Del Mar course. 10 runners are going postward. And just to give you a hint, Frank, as to what I'm thinking in here, I think the distance and it being the flat five as opposed to the six and a half, that was the lens through which I chose to view this one. But what numbers will be on your tickets as we light this candle? Yeah, I I thought this was a very, very difficult race. Um, In fact, I thought this was a really difficult sequence, but, you know, a lot of opportunities here. Um, some really, really good horses in this race. This race could could be considered a graded stakes race, in my opinion. But for a five furlong sprint turf sprint at Del Mar, I didn't think there was a ton, a ton of speed. Uh, so I like I like number seven, Turn on the Jets at five to one. I'd like him a lot more if Hot Box wasn't drawn outside of him because that horse has a ton of gas and that horse is going to go. Maybe those two will duel, uh, but at the very least, they should be a few lengths clear of everyone else. And I just think that Turn on the Jets has upside as a three-year-old uh, whose two wins and two best races have come going five furlongs. So I'm perfectly happy to toss those downhill those downhill defeats where, you know, he kind of made an easy lead and then got, you know, overtaken late. I'm not going to hold that against the horse. I think this horse is a true five furlong specialist. Hernandez will have a little bit of options. I think, you know, he'll go. He can let Hotbox go. He can suck back. There's a bunch of different things he could do. Again, I wish he was drawn a little bit more outside, but I don't really see a ton of other speed. 
Uh, turn on the Jets doesn't have to go. He could stalk as well. So this three-year-old is very versatile. Uh, the couple of problems, though, he's one of three D'Amato horses, and D'Amato's become the new Baffert. you got to try to figure out what kind of shell game he's playing, which one of his <laughs> horses is really the live one. And fortunately, I've been very, very good at it um, you know, over the past year, but I had a, a little harder time in this race with his with his two other horses, who I also think could win. And that's number three, Rel Posse, who's coming from Lone Star, another five furlong specialist. We don't know how good he could be under D'Amato's tutelage now, switching barns. And then number nine, Coulthard, who's run well over this track and will represent the closing part of the triplicate, the triple-headed monster. Um, but of those three, I like Turn on the Jets best. And let me just talk about another horse I like. Um, I want a front end and I want a back end. And I mentioned Cool Tart, who'll be closing. Laneway, the favorite, should be closing. But of the closers, I'm going to go with number six, what makes Sammy run as my other A. This guy won a grade two down the hill at Santa Anita. I know five furlongs might be too short for him. He's 0 for 3 at this distance. But I do think he had excuses for his last two defeats at the five furlong distance. And even though he had trouble in both those races, he still ran fast enough to win this. So uh, he's coming off a brief freshening. You know me, I love Mark Glatt sprinters off a layoff. I know he'll be flying late. My two A's in the race are going to be number six and number seven. Six and seven with a three and the nine is backups and you're fading the favorite or is the favorite a backup? No, no. Yeah, see, I think this is a spread race for the uh, for the B's. I have two, three, eight, nine as the B's. Okay, two, three, eight, and nine on that B line. We'll send those along to folks who subscribe to In the Money Plus in a handy little uh, digest kind of format. We're basically reading from the same playbook here. I had seven turn on the Jets on top. Very interesting getting back to the flat five after not looking quite as strong down the hill. As you mentioned, both races, both at this distance, should be up in the vanguard, could prove the best speed. And I agree with you. I mean, he has stalk and pounce runs too. So if the eight wants to go on a mission, maybe they can just sit off and get the job done. Either way, right. definitely with turn on the Jets. And then Colt Dard, I just thought is another that I suspect is probably going a little bit to better effect going the flat five has traded decisions with lane way, but looking at trips, I'd rate them equally out of that last race. So I, I think that uh, Colt Dard, very, very interesting as a potential best closer. And like you love to try to figure out the best speed, the best closer, you make a good point about the team tactics and what could come of that. But I figure if I can keep those two uh, D'Amato runners on my side, maybe I can just get out of this race with the pick five tickets intact as we go to race number six, where we've got two-year-old Colts at the starter allowance level going six and a half, just a field of six in here. But this is a horse I really like and an angle I really like that I have a feeling we'll talk about on your show tomorrow. Number six, Army Star. I think this horse has the right post to get an excellent stalking trip. But what I really like is what you see when you dig into the form and the figures of that last race. I'm almost certain the published figure is low because six runners have come back to run from there. Every single one has improved their numbers. And in a strange quirk of the math, four of the runners in that race went up exactly 18 buyer speed figure points. The 63 Army Star got already competitive. I'm not saying going to run 18 points better, but, you know, three or four points better. And I think you got a very likely winner. So I like Army Star the best. I thought there was a scenario in which the one Flame Rider could get loose. I do think Crowning Gold might have something to say about that but I did want some ones as a backup, but I'm very happy uh, going to war as it were with army star. How do you see this one? I'm so glad you have an opinion in this race because I absolutely despise this race. It, we run so many, so many starter allowance races out here. And 
I have a very, very difficult time with them because they're basically they're maiden claimers stepping up. You know what I mean? They're stepping up uh, and being protected. Uh, very, very difficult for me to figure out where these horses really belong at a class level. Um, I was going to make my top pick uh, the number one horse for the exact same reason you mentioned, Pete. Uh, speed from the rail with an aggressive rider. You got Louis Mendez, uh, a trainer who wins a ton of two-year-old races at Del Mar. Not a big fan of the rail at six and a half furlongs, but I trust Maldonado enough to get this horse out of the gate and into the race. Uh, horse, you know, two to one at this level last time, stumbled, bumped hard at the break, still made the lead, still ran pretty well, ended up getting crushed by a next out winner, so I won't shame the horse there, but still ended up finishing second. Uh, I think the one is, you know, going to make the running. I agree with you. The three could make things a little difficult for him, but... You know, you get that change from Vasquez to Smith. You know, maybe Smith will decide to kind of like try to rate this horse today. You know, sometimes jockey change, jockey jockey change, yeah. change of tactics. Uh, yeah. So I'm not too worried about those two getting hooked up in a speed duel. Uh, I was going to use the one flame rider as an A, and then I was going to use number two as my other A. Um, you know, I, I hate horses who are the beaten favorite a couple of times in a row, but I think I can make excuses for the horse uh, for the horse. Two back at Del Mar. The horse actually was ran really, really well at this starter condition, going six furlongs. I just thought the jockey was a little too passive. I thought you know, he was on the best horse. I thought he he thought he was going to win easily. Uh, left the horse with a little bit too much to do. Weak ride, but the horse galloped out very, very strongly. Sadler freshened the horse up. I think last time, even though he went off as the favorite, I think that was probably a prep race. Or maybe he didn't like Santa Anita, whatever the case may be. I like that Sadler's adding blinkers today, second start of the form cycle, and he, you know, calls on Pratt to, to, to take the mount. So I had the one and two as A's. And then honestly, I was going to use everybody else as a B because I, like I said, I did not have a strong feel for this race. I was going to try to take on the five runner in this spot, Mr. Beams, just because it felt like on his blood, he might not be able to stand up on dirt. And I thought he was going to take a lot of money in this spot. Now, you know, I could be dead wrong about that, but uh, that that was where I thought you could maybe have the market built for you, especially if Mr. Beams is anything like that five to two of the morning line. Um, I like your case on the two runner. And and I think those are valid excuses, especially when you make that point about the August 26th, the time form us had that as a speed favoring day as well. That might've worked against let him do. I think I'm going to throw that one in on the back line, but yeah, I'm, I'm a lot less spready than you are in the, in this spot, but uh, I I don't mind the idea of using your two, at least using your one and your two as backups and going ahead with army star. Did did I persuade you about maybe pressing up army star a little bit, or are you skeptical? Uh, no, I'm not skeptical at all. I mean, I saw Paula Capestro do this over the summer. She claimed some horses over in, uh, from Kentucky, and, and you know they ran pretty well. She's a very good under-the-radar trainer. I know she's currently 0 for 6, but she definitely does well during the summer at Del Mar. Um, and you know this horse, like you said, is, is going to get the trip and could certainly, could certainly improve. Um, Looking to take advantage of that ship and win bonus as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, I was kind of with you with Mr. Beams. I don't know why uh, John White made this horse the 5-2 morning line favorite, uh, maybe because of the 68 buyer. But yeah, they started this horse on the Tapita at Gulfstream, and then O'Neill gets him in California, and the first thing they do is put the horse on turf. So yeah, yeah you might be absolutely right. The horse might not be able to stand up on dirt. 
Yeah, I mean, and just on the blood, it, it, it sort of backs up that idea. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, these, these connections probably know a lot more than me. But that was just my thought for an angle into the race. As we move to race number seven, we've got greatest stakes action. The grade three Jimmy Durante for these two-year-old fillies. We're going a mile on the turf. And Frank, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, this is a really cool race. But I also thought it was a little bit of a tricky race because you have a bunch of horses trying two turns for the first time. Uh, but in light of that, I'm going to keep things simple. I, I think two horses in here are a standout to me. Um, you know, I'm definitely using Chad Brown's number 11, Legoria, even though she just broke her maiden back east, draws a tough post. But look, Pratt stays put. You know she'll be finishing. You know Chad Brown doesn't send horses out here unless he thinks he's got a really, really strong chance to win. Uh, so that one will definitely be on my ticket. But my top pick, however, is number nine, the best is yet to be i feel like that should be that sounds kind of a little a little bit like a slogan a horse racing slogan a little bit but not quite the best is yet to come was taken so they went with the, the best is yet. <laughs> exactly so i thought five to one was a really good i mean if you get five to one on this horse i think you're doing pretty good she was favored off the boat here over the summer in the juvenile turf fillies she finished third behind her stable mate after a, be, a slow beginning she had some trouble then she ran second in an allowance here earlier in the meet. I thought she looked a little bit like a short horse off a layoff. Um, I think Damata was probably using that as a prep race for this event, uh, you know, much more lucrative event. I think she'll be really tuned up. I just, you know, she finished up really strongly, 20, you know, 23.39 seconds. You know, when it comes to turf racing, I'm always looking at that, those internal splits. Um, I, I think I think the nine is the horse to beat. My only caveat you know, as much as I, I, I love Rispoli and think he's a terrific turf rider, he's been off form. He's yeah, I was going to ask you about form. that. I actually had a note to ask you if that was randomness or if there was something up with that. No, no, I've seen, I just, I'm not, not sure what's going on, but sometimes, you know, he just makes premature moves or he's not judging pace correctly or whatever the case may be. But look, the guy's a world-class rider. This is a graded stakes event, you know, People go in slumps. You got to get out of it sometime. Um, I think he's. I think he's on a, a very live horse here, um, and you know this could be the one to slump bust for him. But yeah, he just. I noticed it when he went back east for the you know a couple of those Breeders' Cup races. You know, he just. He seemed outclassed against those top. Jockeys from all over the world, um, and I know he's better than that. I you know I think he's really good. He, he's better than that. Um, and then it's just kind of carried on through the Santa Anita meet and then also here at Del Mar. So I'm a little concerned about that, but you know, it's horse racing, not jockey racing. So, uh, five to one, I think I'm, I'm willing to overlook that little bit of a fact. So those are my two A's I'll have, when, when I draw out the ticket, I'll see if I want to, if I do want to use any B's, if I did, maybe I'd go one, 10, 12, but I think I'd be perfectly fine just using those two A's to get out of here. That's what I had. I had it in the other order, but you know, my old saw of turf form shipping West comes into play with Liguria look very good in winning the maiden work forwardly since no real line on that form yet. Don't love the post, but it might be one of these instances we see so often where you get compensated enough in price because of the tricky post. And then the other angle, and this is just me inventing a story, but I did think it was interesting. The fact that, the fact that Pratt ends up here rather than 
Um, the best is yet to be. I was wondering if in part that wasn't because Chad has pointed this horse for this spot a long way out and maybe had given Pratt the call. Because it wouldn't necessarily be a super clear choice to me of which one of these two to ride. So I was giving Pratt landing here a little bit of extra credit. And then I do think the cold respully thing did make me also, you know, just for technical picking purposes, want to go 11-9 instead of 9-11. But I'm very, very happy to try to... Uh, to try to go to war with those two and see if we can't uh, get something done. A backup that I will mention, you know, probably much more on deeper tickets, but of the motions, I was a little bit interested in number one, Palota Sisters, yeah. who I thought had a chance to maybe shake loose, has been running. Um, that, that was an unsustainably fast pace, or at least a, a flow upgrade, you'd say, out of that uh, soft win um, back on October 12th. Just a guess, but this is, and honestly, six to one of the morning line wouldn't be enough. For me, but I think this is a horse who, in a a race where I'm just not exactly sure how they're going to bet, could maybe end up being a little bit of a better price. Anyway, I'll have some ones on the ticket, so I thought was mentioning at least um, on that one. And with that, yeah, I agree. I had no. well, I had one ten twelve as potential bees. That's right. You did have the one as well. I, I just wrote that down, and then I, I quickly forgot it. And then, um, and then just to, just to mention the thing about the post, you know, I agree. The eleven post is no no bargain, but when you you know I, Pratt. No matter what, Pratt will have the horse where the horse needs to be. It doesn't yeah. matter what post it is. 30 post. Doesn't matter. This guy, <laughs> he, seriously, he reminds me. I, we've talked about this before. He reminds me so much of, you know, when we first started racing, Jerry Bailey was never, he was always on the best horse, but he was also never in the in a bad spot. He always gave the horse the best chance to win. He always had the horse in the Bailey spot, we used to call Bailey it. Spot, he was exactly. always in the perfect position. <laughs> Brad is the same way. This guy, it's 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 remarkable how consistently good he is. You know, there might be a couple of other jockeys in the world who are just a little bit better than him, but there is no one more consistent than this guy. It's it's just remarkable to watch him. I don't know how he does it. It's like he's a robot. He's so good. <laughs> Let's move on to race number eight. This was the one that made me scratch my head, and, and I eventually came around to a pick that I wasn't terribly happy with. We're in the allowance ranks. We're going a mile on the dirt. And I started saying, how am I going to beat Street Ruckus and came around to, I don't know if we can beat Street Ruckus, the more I looked at the race. I think you might be catching the right way, right field. It's very well on figures. This looks like a slightly easier group. And I do think with some stretch out speed in here, um, there should be enough pace to set up the late run. I think a horse that hasn't gotten it done at short odds, you know, that's and is going to be last. I was originally wanting to say, oh, there's going to be too much to do. But the more I looked at the race, the more I just wasn't sure about that. I probably will back up with the two horses. I think will be up in the, the, the speedy sharp end of the race, the four spirit of Makina and the number five Traeger, neither of which I terribly trust or love. I don't know. I had a lot of trouble with this race. I ended up calling it the two as an A and the four and the five as Bs, but extremely interested to hear if you have a stronger opinion here, which it sounds like you might. Well, no, no, I'm kind of with you. I did this race. I did this race in the Hollywood Derby for the Del Mar website. So anyone who's listening and wants to go and read my full analysis can go on dmtc.com and check it out. I, I'm with you. Like, you know, I've seen Street Ruckus run a million times and my first instinct was, oh, great, let's beat them. Yeah. But I think today's the day. Uh, to your point, there's a ton of speed in this race. I think he's just going to get a perfect tracking trip. Um, also, you know, again, 
I, I he can kind of make excuses. He's he's run well and he's been knocking at the door. Hasn't been able to get the job done, but he does kind of have excuses. If you look <laughs> look at those three races at Del Mar off the layoff, he drew the one hole all three times. That was not the place you wanted to be over the summer. The rail for most of the meet was kind of dead. Uh, so he was kind of unfortunate there by drawing the drawing the rail three times in a row, yet still ran really well. And then at Santa Anita, it flip-flopped. He, he's, you know, five of six and seven of seven. He was stuck on the outside. And you don't want to be, you know, stalking very wide around two turns at Santa Anita where the inside is better. So everything was flip-flop for this guy. He gets Pratt now. Pratt will have him on the right part of the track, whatever the case may be, um, you know, and again, he's going to get the right setup. I really, really wanted to be clever in this race, but I just, I had a hard time looking past the morning line favorite and I hate it. <laughs> and also what you mentioned, Pete, you know, this is not a very good allowance group. Um, this is, I thought this race came up particularly weak. Uh, so I was going to have number two street ruckus is my A. For my Bs, I'm with you. Number four, Spirit of uh, is it McKenna or McKenna? I'm not sure how. It might pronounce. be McKenna. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, but this is a lightly raced four year old who's run two really, really good races. He's pretty fast. Um, so there's plenty of upside here. Um, that horse has a huge shot. Wasn't sure what to do with Mastering. I kind of just made him a B in the end, only because um, you know Hernandez, who's vying for leading rider. You know, he he takes the call. Uh, this horse was very good back in the day for Baffert. He's now dropping him for 40. Someone will definitely take this horse. You know, when Baffert does this, you know, there's usually a reason, but then again, they, you know, they often win. So I was going to use the one as a B, but let me throw a wise guy pick out there just because, you know, I'm talking master of the obvious with picking street ruckus. I think number nine code runner has a little bit of a wise guy. Look, you know, yak team claimed this horse for 32,000 back in October of 2021. Obviously, there was something wrong with the horse, yet he was patient. He waited a year. He brought the horse back protected to kind of just give him a little run around the track, maybe a little prep. Now he runs the horse for the 40 optional. He's not running him for 20. He's not running him for 16. I mean, he could be running him for 10. He's running him for 40, not giving him away. A win, a claim, and a nice bet on a horse who's a 20 to 1 morning line. That'd be, that would pay handsome dividends for the connections who have been so patient with this horse that they claimed a Keeneland back in October. So I would not discount this horse at a huge number. That's, that's the kind of wise guy play. And like we mentioned, this is a really, really weak allowance group. And this horse, um, you know, even though it was a long time ago, ran through his allowance conditions. So, so he's running for the optional tag. Optional tag today. So there you go. That's the wise guy play. Uh, but yeah, I, I wish I had something a little more clever than Street Ruckus as the top pick in the race. No, but that's a compelling case on a live long shot the more I look at it. And, you know, been gelded since going to the new barn. There, there's a lot going on there. That's a horse to include. That's that's the kind of value B. I'd almost play like an A in some certain combinations. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes you certainly could do that. Let's move on to the featured race of the day, the Grade One Hollywood Derby for these three-year-old Colts going a mile and eight on the turf. As Frank mentioned, you can read his full analysis over at dmtc.com. We've got a full field of eleven going postward when it comes to this late pick five on Hollywood Derby Day. Frank, how are we getting paid? Uh, this is an awesome race. I love this race. It's a deserved Grade One, four hundred thousand uh, dollars in purse money. Um, 
I do think number nine, Wit, is legit. He looks poised to run a big one. Uh, he will he will be an A for me. But my top pick is number two, Script. I loved his race last time. Oh my god, he was way too far back off a glacial pace, and yet he came flying late to just miss. Uh, it was a rare uh, misjudge of pace by Johnny V that day. Uh, I think this one moves forward big time. Eight to one is a great price. Again, we talked about the whole Rispoli thing. Look, this is a grade one. I mean, if he doesn't wake up for this, I don't know what to tell you, you know. Um, I just, I think this horse has so much ability. And I love the fact that he's going from a mile to a mile and an eighth. I love that motion shipped this horse out here for a prep race over the turf course in a let it ride. Um, that's, that's my top horse. That's that's my that's my A. I'm also going to use number nine, Wit as an A. And then we'll see how things shake out. But I was thinking Cabo Spirit, the one and three Celestial City, uh, another East Coast invader would be a would be my B's. We're similar once again. I put Wit on top, just really fits the profile for me. Another East Coast turf form shipping west situation. And I just thought the last was better than it looked. Moving into that hot pace. I don't think the horse hung late. I, I just think you know, was inefficiently used throughout. And the other thing I like about Witt is he has another horse I see as a main contender in here on form, and that is the three Celestial City, who I've been a big, big fan of. Ran great last time without the benefit of setup. I'm just not sure on figures anybody is as fast as Wit, but I will use Wit as the lone A, and I was going to back up with the three, and I was also going to back up with uh, the two script who you mentioned, just based on that big flow upgrade and maybe some serious upside on this runner and just the third start on the turf. And I do think has a very good chance to be that eight to one of the morning line. One of the thing coming out of the let it ride form looks to be stacking up. Well, one's come back to run and one win. So yeah, very, very similar. We're similar throughout. We might have to put some tickets together. for. Yeah, I think, I think we absolutely should. Uh, and I just wanted, cause you talked about celestial city. I I'm trying to think, I don't know if Suge McGahee's ever shipped a horse out to Del Mar other than, you know, for a breeder's cup event. So the fact that this horse is here uh, is very interesting to me, or well, at least not on the turf anyway. Um, I'd have to do a little more digging, but for Suge to come out here, uh, I thought that was pretty telling that he fancies his chances. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's almost, it is surprising that he wouldn't have just because, you know, this is a huge opportunity for horses to get that uh, to get that grade one. But yeah, looking at Shug, last it doesn't run one at Del Mar in the last five years, according to uh, the little formulator query I just ran. So that's, a, go. <laughs> that's a, good, a good a good point indeed. All right, Frank, we are out of time. So uh, I'll see you in real life very soon. I want to thank you. I want to thank all of today's guests. I want to thank our founding partners. Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and 10 Strike Racing. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. We'll thank some behind the scenes people we don't always thank, but I probably should always thank Tyler Wisman, editor of In the Money Plus, James Millar, our uh, sales associate, been doing a great job behind the scenes. And then the folks I always thank our business manager, Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer. Doesn't that sound good? Our that chief, sound creative really good. <laughs> chief creative officer is Jonathan Kitchen. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.
me